0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. latter part of chapter 10 and into chapter 12. Now, in all, there were three phases to the conquest. There was the initial crossing of the Jordan River, followed by a push from Jericho and into Ai and then into the area of Gibeon. Second, there was the phase of the campaign in the southern area of the initial wedge, where they worked in the taking of the southern area. And then, of course, driving north to take the northern uh, area of the region. Chapters 10 through 12 contain the heart of the conquest of Canaan by the Jewish army. So I want to just take a few minutes and just highlight some quick things. First, in the southern campaign. The account begins with a calling together of the kings of the most prominent southern cities by Adonijah Zedek that we saw last week. Uh, he was the king of Jerusalem and he called the other kings in a joint offensive against Gibeon. Uh, Gibeonites, you recall, had defected. They had come in and tricked Joshua and made like they were from a, a foreign country and far away and that no, they were no sweat to Israel and he should really make a, a covenant with them. And you recall that Joshua made the covenant without consulting God and then later found out that they were neighbors but had to honor that, uh, that covenant that they made. And so they had that point. The, uh, Hebron Hebron, laid about 19 miles south of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is where the main king was from who organized everything, but Hebron was only 19 miles south of that. And if you recall, this is the place where the patriarchs uh, were earlier. And it was where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were buried. And also where the bones of Joshua, Joseph would be buried according to his request in Genesis 50 and verse 25. And what, what of their leaders? What of their leaders? Interestingly enough, that in the second part of Joshua chapter 10, verses 16 to 28, it tells how the kings were hiding in the caves of the southern city of Makkedah. They were discovered eventually by soldiers, and Joshua knew the importance of this find, but but however, he had a battle to finish. And so, you recall, he had the cave sealed up, and he went on to, to finish the battle and to take care of the priorities that God had given him to do. You see, Joshua had priorities, and God had told him to go finish the battle, and so he put the kings aside. The next day, Joshua did something very important. First, he made the defeated kings lay down in the dirt, and then he called the commanders of all of his divisions to come and place their feet on the necks of these kings. Now, this sounds barbaric at first, but here's the reason. Joshua chapter 10 and verse 25 says, And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. It was very important for the people to see how God was delivering them, how God was fighting their battles, how with God nothing is impossible. And it's a lesson just as important to you and I today. We have often, I think, in many Christians, we have lost the reality that God is actively involved in our daily lives. We have lost the understanding to realize that God is in the details of our life. And so Joshua made an effort to to bring the men in and put their feet on the the necks of the kings to make them realize, look, God is in this. He's delivered them. He will deliver the rest, and he is in control of your lives. And this is not just some abstract concept because it's the Bible clearly written for you and I today. Second, and just as important, Joshua didn't sit down and bask in the victory. At the very same time the kings were disposed of, he did something else. Chapter 10, verse 28 says, As for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its kings with the edge of the sword. He devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining. And he did to the king of Makeda, just as he had done, to the kings of Jericho. In other words, he got on with a campaign. He continued to move ahead, following God to the next conquest. Now, you know why this is important? Because many Christians today, we have a much needed victory, and then we sit down and try to avoid any further heart stopping experiences. You know, God takes care of something, hallelujah, praise God. Okay, God, I'm cool. I'm over here, have at it. Joshua didn't do that. He had one great victory, he pressed on to the next. He kept pushing and pushing. And how often do you and I as Christians realize that when God meets a need, when God brings something into your life of monumental significance, that you don't get up the next morning and go, what's next? And press on. That's what Joshua did. And that's what the people of Israel did. And it was very, very important to understand that. Now, the remainder of the chapter goes on to tell how he subdued the southern strongholds one by one. Joshua 10 verses 41 through 42 says, And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza to the country of Goshen and as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time because... The Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Now there's that phrase again. Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Do you and I understand today that God fights for us? Do you understand today that not only is he working with us in life, but his Holy Spirit has been given to indwell us? That his spirit bears witness with our spirit. That when we pray, he makes groanings which we don't understand to make sure it's taken to the throne properly. That he leads us and guides us. That's who you and I are today. And if Joshua could have this kind of battle, victories in his life, how much more should you and I have victories in our life? So then we come to the northern kingdom, the northern campaign. The final phase of the conquest of Canaan was in the north. And again, it followed the actions of the king of the land. Uh, Jabin, king of Azor, was the leader of the northern coalition, just as Adonai Zedek was the king of the southern. And uh, he was the one that that brought together the coalition of the northern kingdoms to really go after Joshua because they were fearful, obviously, of the conquest uh, Joshua had in the south. But here's something that I want you to see that's very important. Joshua and Israel won the battles in the south. Major battles against very incredibly difficult foes. But now when he turns his attention to the north, the, uh, the element of battle changes to now with the use of chariots. Now, we don't know for sure how many people were there, but if Josephus is true in what he writes, he says that there was about 300,000 foot soldiers, 100,000 cavalry, and 20,000 chariots. They had never fought chariots. So let me get this straight. They've just had a great victory. They've endured great battles. Wonderful victories, they had turned their attention to the north, and it's even bigger and harder. That doesn't sound like the kind of life I want. I want victories, and then I want it to get easier, but it got even harder. So let this sink in. They just had the victory, and now it's going to get way bigger and way harder. The task is far more daunting. Now you know what I find in my Bible? The greater the faith, the bigger the conquest. The greater the faith, the bigger the conquest. Now, you may think you're at the limit, but with God, there is no limits. God guides you through where he wants you to go. Big or small, he's in control when you're surrendered to him. The passage doesn't say that Joshua or the people were scared, but I have an idea that they might have been trembling a little bit because Joshua 11 verse 6 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them uh, slain to Israel, and you shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So here it is. Once again, God tells Joshua, Big army, no problem. I'm going to give them to you. Do you understand that the things you face in life when surrendered to God, God deals with them? Do you understand that when God is in control of your everyday life, he controls the situations? Now, if Joshua was intimidated by the size of the army, he really didn't show it. Because in 11, chapter 11, verses 8 through 9, it says, And the Lord gave them into the hands of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon and uh, Mizrath, Miam, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. He hamstrung their horses, and he burned the chariots with fire. Once again, an obedient servant of the Lord. Now, after this conquest of the northern coalition, the scripture goes on to tell how they moved to take the scattered cities in the region so that Joshua took the entire land. They didn't stop pressing. They didn't get discouraged. They didn't stop until all the battle was won. And the territory conquered and occupied was extensive. It stretched from Sidon to Egypt and from Mediterranean Sea to the desert. It was indeed all the land that had been promised by God. And this is an amazing truth because you have to really go back to to remind yourself that these were a people who were wandering in the desert for 40 years. These weren't trained soldiers, but their commander was in control. And they had one victory after the other. So what I want to do for our remaining time together is I want to make some clear applications of lessons for you and I today. Because as we look at Joshua, it's more than just a nice story that took place thousands of years ago recorded in the Old Testament. We know that all scripture is given for our admonition. We know that Joshua was recorded for you and I to learn from to establish the kind of lives God wants us to establish. Now, I've challenged the elders and the deacons, uh, not challenged, but sent them an email and asked them to be thinking deeply about what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives and what he's doing in this church. We don't want to get caught up in cookie-cutter programs. We don't want to get caught up in things that work at other churches. We want to do specifically what the Spirit is leading us to do. And nothing else. And so, as we've gone through this, I've given them a verse that God has just weighed heavy on me over the last several months. It's 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 5. It says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. God didn't just give us a bunch of writings on a page, He gave it with power. And the Spirit. In other words, as the Bible tells us that his word is quick and powerful than any two-edged sword piercing into the joints and the marrow, this word under the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit transforms lives. It changes character. It gives excitement and victory. It encourages all of us to walk with the Lord. And then it goes on to say, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you, for your sakes and so as leadership in this church we want to be the men that God wants us to be for your sake and that's motivating it's also motivating for you and I men women children alike to learn to be that kind of person for God's glory and so with that in mind let me give you six key principles that I think can transform your life if you allow them to really work number one Joshua did not let short-term gains deter him from long-range objectives. As I stated earlier, that when they found the kings hidden in the caves, Joshua had them uh, sealed up until he finished the task at hand. Then when he came back, he made them an example of God's faithfulness in delivering them, and then immediately he got on with the battle. And that he did on the very same day. You and I are often confronted with good but short-range opportunities, and these frequently turn us aside from our chief tasks. Do you have long-range plans? Do you weekly plan out your week in accordance with those long-term goals? Remember, the goal is provided by the Holy Spirit. And if you and I are Christians who genuinely love Christ, and we know that our lives are set forth here on this earth to bring glory to God, then how does that plan fit in your life? What has God gifted you with? What are your abilities? What are the things that God has given you that allow you to bring glory to him? And then each week, do you plan out your week in accordance with those goals? This is what Joshua did. He had many short-term victories, but they were all geared towards the ultimate victory of taking the entire land. Number two, Joshua understood the need others have for visible encouragement. When the kings were discovered, Joshua called his commanders together to see what the Lord had done. And when the commanders passed by placing their feet on the neck of the king's, Joshua encouraged them with basically the very same words God had encouraged Joshua with. Joshua said in chapter 10 verse 25, Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Joshua gave them the same words that God had given him. Just like you're getting this morning. Joshua knew there would be many long and difficult battles ahead. And he saw that his commanders needed regular and often uh, dramatic encouragement to persevere. You know, that's also my role as a pastor. To encourage you in what God is doing to encourage you in what the Lord is doing every day, and to encourage you in what he will do for you. And I hope that's an active part of your life this morning. Number three, Joshua took no shortcuts, but pursued the campaign in a logical step-by-step progression. Even today, students of Scripture are impressed with this man, Joshua, and his consistent uh, logical pursuit of the conquest. He defeated the kings and their armies, then he proceeded step by step against the fortified towns. The progressive overthrowing of these cities, which is described briefly in chapters 10 through 12, took approximately seven years to complete. Imagine the victories we would see if we were as consistent as Joshua in our daily lives. There are no shortcuts in developing the Christian life there are also no mysteries. The Bible clearly explains how we are to live and to grow, how we are to yield to the Spirit, study God's Word, and live out its principles. And this is what has always worked, and this is always the case, both in Joshua's life and in yours and my life. What adds confusion to our lives is a constant battle to give our will over to the Lord. But I assure you, once you do that, the haze begins to clear. Because when the number one focus of your heart is yieldedness, God's promise is to lead you. It's clearly in the book from Genesis to Revelation. When you yield to God, he leads. And you and I have that opportunity this morning to make those very key choices. Number four. Joshua did not allow his earthly mistakes to unsettle or defeat him. Joshua was a great leader, and God used him greatly. But this does not mean that he was perfect. We're told of two key mistakes he made. The first is attacking Ai without consulting the Lord. There was sin in the camp. God pulled back. They didn't consult God. They went into battle and they were humiliated. 36 men died because of that wrong decision. Secondly, he was fooled by the Gibeonites for the same reason. He made a decision on the basis of his own observations. He didn't pray and ask the Lord. And as a result, the Gibeonites moved in and dwelled with them from that point forward. Are you tracking with us this morning? Every mistake was a result of leaving God out of the decision-making process every mistake now I suppose the devil came to Joshua many times and tried to bring him down you know you're a failure God's not going to use you you kidding me look at the mistakes you've made come on you're a loser just like he does today to you and I how could he possibly amount to anything when he's such a failure. You know the apostle Paul understood this only too well. He said in Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 to 14, "Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus." Paul had made dramatic failures in his life. But he forgot him, and he moved on. He pressed on to what God was doing. You recall that after the defeat at Ai, Joshua and his leaders got down on their faces. They covered themselves in ashes, and they cried out, Oh, God, why did you bring us here to, give, to defeat us? Wouldn't it have been better if we just stayed on the other side of the Jordan? You brought us this far to have us be humiliated and defeated? And you know something? That's the place most Christians stay. Right there. I'm defeated. Doesn't work for me. I prayed. I asked God. Didn't work. But I love God's response. Because God said to him, He said, Get up. What are you doing on your faces? There's sin in the camp. Deal with it and let's move on. God didn't leave them there. He showed them what the problem was. He said, get out of the dirt. Get the stuff off your head. You know, if I could paraphrase, God's probably saying, you're not impressing me, guys. You're the problem. Now let's deal with the problem so we can get on with my leading your life. And I don't know if you're here this morning, you're stuck in a rut because of something that's gone wrong in your life and you think you can never get off. I'm telling you right now, God is saying the same thing to you. Get up, leave it there, and let's get on with life. I've got bigger and better things for you, and you're standing in my way. That's what he's telling us. And this is a great thing for you and I to understand from Joshua. It does us no good to wallow in our mistakes, deal with it, and move on. That's huge for you and I to grasp. Number five, Joshua believed God completely. He believed them completely. There's a great difference between believing in God and believing God. Many people will say they believe in God, that is, they admit he exists, but they do not believe him. They do not believe what he says. Joshua believed God and, like all heroes of the faith, acted on his belief. And God told Joshua, if you recall, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Notice that being strong and courageous is not an option, it's a command. He's telling all of you this morning be strong, be courageous, and let's get on with the life I have for you because you don't have a clue what's coming because I've got some major things. Joshua firmly expected God to defeat his enemies, so he attacked them in anticipating victory. Joshua believed before the battle. Can you believe God while you're in the rut? Can you take God at his word When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the reason it says that is so when you see what he did with Joshua, he's the same today. As he dealt with Joshua, he's going to deal with you. If you're stuck in a rut, he's going to say, get up, let's move on. It's a command to be courageous and to step out in faith. And this is very, very critical for you and I to grasp. Because... Often, we're stuck. We just can't get over it. Someone has wronged you. Something has happened in your career. Something has happened in a, in a health situation. Whatever it could be. You, you put your own name in there. God is saying, put the eyes on me. Let me have you. And let's get on with the things I want to do. Number six, Joshua believed, or Joshua obeyed completely. There's a big difference between believing and believing completely. I think probably the greatest verse about Joshua in the whole book is Joshua 11 verse 15. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. What a remarkable statement. Understand, God gave Moses a message. Moses' ministry stopped before they moved into Canaan. Moses gave Joshua the instructions that God had given him. And Joshua did all the things he was told to do. And the result was major victory. You know, folks, sometimes the only thing standing between a major Christian successful life is your attitude. But you don't understand my life. You don't understand what I'm going through. No, I'm sure I don't. But he does. And he is the same God who is in control Joshua left nothing undone that was commanded to Moses. How great would that be if that could be said of you and I, that we did all the Lord commanded us by his words in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. People of grace, your life is not over. God still wants to use you. Forget the mistakes Forget the past. Press on to the upward call in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul was trying to get through to us. Yield to the Spirit and let your life shine for His glory. Make a decision and stand by it and go forward. You know, last week I had a wonderful call from uh, Marilyn Gillette's father. Uh, You may have met her folks when they were here visiting a couple of times. Uh, her dad is, a, an, a, is an accomplished Bible teacher. In fact, he was a professor at the college I was at. I never had him for a class. I was disappointed I didn't. But, but just his attitude around campus and the way he talked and his sense of humor, he had, he had a profound effect on, on many students and, and especially on me. And uh, you may not have known or you may have heard this, but a couple of months ago he had a stroke. And fortunately, they were able to get him to the hospital on time, so it minimized any damage. And, and right now, his speech is, is getting much better, and uh, he seems like he's going to be fine. But he called me a couple of weeks ago just to express his, his, uh, his love and concern for the passing of my sister. But I tell you, he told me something that far outweighed the condolences or the sympathy because we got talking to each other about, ministry and lives, and, and, and he, for the last several years, has been the chief editor for uh, David Jeremiah. Many of you listen to Jeremiah during the week and on TV and radio and stuff, and uh, he's had a profound ministry there. He's in his 80s now. He said, Craig, he goes, you know, I, I was thinking about going back into the pastorate, or maybe traveling and speaking, but when I had the stroke, he said, God just redirected me kind of took that away, and now I think I'm going to write. He said, you know, Craig, I just want to finish strong. Man in his 80s. <laughs> I tell you what, for a guy who didn't start pastor until the 60s, <laughs> that was pretty profound. That was a major thing for me, and as we talk through it, it doesn't matter for your 18 or 80, the day you choose to trust Christ. With your life, is the day you mount up with wings like eagles. It's a day when you can take off and run and live for God. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've faced in life. He will use you if you surrender to him. Now, I just want to serve him till he either comes for me or I fall down dead. You want to join me? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this Joshua. Thank you so much for this man who just walked with you. Far from perfect. He made his mistakes. But you always taught him the lessons of those mistakes. And he always got up and pressed on. And he did all that you commanded him to do. I recognize that this morning in this service, there are a lot of people who are struggling to get up out of the ditch. And there may be a lot of Christians here who life is is really okay, but they don't really feel or sense you're using them. Whatever our case is, wherever we are right now, I pray that your spirit would overwhelm us with a deep desire to draw a line in the sand, right now and to look to you and say, Lord, I am all yours. You live through me. Let your spirit guide my thoughts and the intents of my heart. May I learn what it's like to walk through this life, not only knowing of the eternity that's there for me, but knowing that every day I wake up is a day I can totally give to you and be obedient. I just pray, Lord, that you would have your way in the hearts of people this morning. And if there are any here who do not know you as their Savior, they have no relationship with you, they're searching, they're wanting, but they just haven't been able to put their finger on it. I pray that you would bring them to me or to one of our elders or leaders that we might be able to sit down with them and show them through your word how you want to live through them and guide them we thank you for this thanksgiving time and we rejoice this morning and praise you for all that you've given us we ask for journeying mercies on all those coming back today heading home but most of all Lord thank you that you never give up on us that you're always standing there ready to lead us to new things, to new heights, to new glories. And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.